earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're at Session 7 in our series, Oh, That First Means That... We've been scrutinizing some popular Bible passages we thought meant one thing, but we're discovering that they really mean something quite different, aren't we? So if you missed any sessions or want to catch up, just go to faithtalk1360.com and search for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Friends, I'm hoping you're readily coming to the conclusion that the Bible really does have a story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, oftentimes we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as we average Christians, tend to do what? We make, even force, or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly, I still say shame on us. Well, today's session seven is, Who are the weary and heavy laden anyway? And I'm going to piggyback onto a scripture portion I skimmed over last time. Today's text is Matthew 11:28 through 30, a well-known and well-loved passage, and a sacred cow for many. But friends, it's time to slaughter that sacred cow. And you know why? Because God's word is worthy of greater respect. And the Holy Spirit is deserving of greater respect as the author and inspirer of our Bible as we read God's word, rather than just cavalierly spouting off what we think a verse means. Well, I'll be reading Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 from the 1995 New American Standard Bible, a more formal equivalence translation, or, as some like to call it, a more literal translation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, friends, before we start unpacking these three sentences, it's important to note that Jesus sneaks in here a veiled reference to Jeremiah 6.16, which has a parallel to Isaiah 28.12, but both references are couched in negative contexts. Normally, we wouldn't be alerted to this cross-reference to Jeremiah unless we read from a reference Bible, but a helpful feature of the NASB is that it puts Old Testament quotations in small caps to alert the reader. Jeremiah's and Isaiah's contexts are Israel's disobedience to God's laws instituted in the Law of Moses. Jeremiah calls God's laws the ancient paths and the good way that the Israelites are supposed to walk. Isaiah's tagline is, Woe to the proud Israelites! Here is rest. Give rest to the weary. Here is repose. But they would not listen. 
This was a foreboding of coming chastisement and judgment. And curiously, Isaiah includes the priests and prophets who've gone off the spiritual rails and therefore are included in this judgment, these being the religious leaders of the day. So, friends, it shouldn't really be a surprise that Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 should alert us that there's something more here than meets the eye. After all, Jesus throws in some Jewish buzzwords that should make our antenna go up immediately, like weary or labor, heavy laden, yoke, gentle and humble, and rest. And friends, it's also no surprise that Matthew 11 has the broader context of chapters 9 through 12, where there are several mentions of the Pharisees and scribes continuing their adversarial relationship with Jesus. 9.3 mentions scribes accusing Jesus of blasphemy. 9.14 mentions Pharisees. 9.36 mentions Jesus' compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Did you catch that? I believe Matthew was acknowledging that the current spiritual shepherds of Israel were woefully failing in their role. In 10.16, Jesus sends his disciples out like sheep in the midst of wolves. I propose this is a veiled reference to the Jewish religious leaders, since verse 17 says they'd be scourged in the synagogues. And right after this come-to-me text, there's 12.2, where the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of working on the Sabbath because they ate grain when hungry. Finally, for our purposes, there's 12.24, the Pharisees accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. So, friends, I contend that we can't just brush off these contextual references to the Pharisees' corrupted version of God's laws. Matthew already gave us a heads up in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. I find the most crucial statement to be Matthew's summary in 7, 28, and 29. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Whoa, did you get that? Friends, this tells me the ultimate clash between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day was a clash of power and authority. In other words, who would hold ultimate religious authority or control over the Jews in the first century Roman Empire? And friends, I'll let you in on one little secret. Aside from being Bereans and searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, and uncovering the meanings of some words, some of the things I'll be sharing with you from this point on are actually easily found in some good, respected study Bibles, where the buzzwords I mentioned are elaborated on, helping us to see just what was happening behind the scene of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 in the first century life of the Jews under the tutelage of the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law. In fact, friends, I'll mention these study Bibles because each contains what I call committee-generated study notes. In other words, these are not individually named rock star study Bibles. Study Bibles with committee-generated notes are safe because 
because they're balanced and offer alternative views when there's more than one way of looking at things. So here's Pastor Tom's top five picks in study Bibles. The NKJV Study Bible, Thomas Nelson Publishers Edition, the ESV Study Bible, the Life Application Study Bible, translation of your choice, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible, and the NLT Study Bible. So friends, let's decode the five buzzwords or phrases that stood out as I read Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, which I'll gladly reread. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now listen again, but with the emphasis I believe should be here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice the repetition of seven personal pronouns, me, I, and my, and how reading it this way emphasizes the contrast which I propose is Jesus' intent when he says this. Contrast, you ask? Contrast between what? Well, based on the broader context mentioned earlier, Jesus is clearly contrasting his teachings with the corrupted and warped teachings of the first century spiritual control freaks. Yep, those Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law. And here, friends, I'll throw in a little teaser. Our 21st century church is just as much filled with spiritual control freaks as the first century Jewish religion was. Trust me, friends, the Pharisees are alive and well and lurking in our modern-day quote-unquote evangelical churches. We'll see that even the early converted Jews attempted to impose their legalistic, ritualistic ideas on the budding new church movement. So let's dive in and see just how these five buzzwords bring out the truth behind Jesus' statements. Okay, buzzword number one, weary. A seemingly innocent word, but carrying a rich array of meanings, since the original Greek word implies working hard, working to exhaustion. So meanings include toiling, laboring until worn out, straining and growing weary. And why the NASB has a marginal note that all who are weary can also mean all who work to exhaustion. Remember, friends, our goal is to uncover the spiritual parallels or metaphors behind these buzzwords. So, buzz phrase number two, heavy laden. This is usually translated as heavy laden or burdened. The original term carries with it being weighed or weighted down or overloaded. One modern translation has weighed down. Buzzword number three, yoke. The first century agrarian culture supplies the original meaning of yoke, a physical beam for oxen to plow together, generally pairing a younger ox to an older, more experienced one so that the younger ox can be trained to do the job of plowing. Early rabbis and teachers nicknamed the Mosaic Law the yoke of the law, but it was first meant positively, that being God's law was in place to train his chosen people to live justly, rightly, and righteously. Thus, the laws of God were viewed as scales that balanced the lives of God's people when obeyed. 
This word plays a critical role in helping us see the spiritual metaphor and parallel that contrasts Jesus's and the Pharisees' teachings. And in our last session, I said Jesus was a reinterpreter of the law of Moses, as seen in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And therefore, it's to our advantage to know just why Jesus had to reinterpret it, or as some would say, better interpret it, even correctly interpret it, or communicate its intent. Because, friends, through Jesus' teaching, we discover what the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law did to the law that he abhorred. Recall Luke 12, 1, where Jesus says to his disciples and the crowd, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, buzz phrase number four, gentle and humble. Earlier I shared Matthew 9:36, which I'll repeat. Seeing the crowd, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed, a word that literally means harassed, and they were dispirited, a word that means thrown down or cast away, possibly scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus seems to validate this idea of scattered in his rebuke of the Pharisees in John chapter 10, particularly verse 12, where he calls them wolves who snatch and scatter the sheep because they're merely hired hands and not true caring spiritual shepherds. And here we've got to see that a messianic prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 portrays Jesus this way. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. And in Philippians 2, 3 through 11, Paul introduces the like-mindedness that we are to have, which Jesus had. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And he goes on to say, have this attitude among yourselves in, in which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Friends, what a far cry from the proud, arrogant snootiness of the Pharisees, for which Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector in Luke 18. Go ahead and read that parable. For our purposes, I'll just share Jesus' conclusion. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is why, friends, we've got to read Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, emphasizing the contrast between Jesus's and the Pharisees' attitude. Jesus is contrasting his humility with the proud spiritual arrogance of the Pharisees. And finally, buzzword number five, rest. Notice, friends, rest occurs twice. In verse 28, rest is from their labors and burdens, which we unpacked earlier. In verse 29, rest is for their souls. One rest is from, the other for. And the reason Jesus gives for this rest is that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I'll propose here that Jesus maintains his contrast of his own teachings with the teachings of the Pharisees, scribes and teachers of the law. In other words, the yoke of the Pharisees is hard, whereas the yoke of Jesus is easy. The burden of the Pharisees is hard, whereas the burden of Jesus is easy. And let me expand on this word easy, because we modern-day Christ followers in an English-speaking world have a preconception of what easy means, don't we? 
Even in our English New Testament, this word is translated as good, better, kind, and gracious. Its range of meanings include useful, beneficial, pleasant, serviceable, even fit for use, or well-fitted. It's set in opposition to burdensome. Well, let's connect this idea to Jesus' use of yoke. Jesus' yoke is beneficial. It's well-fitting and useful. We tend to assume Jesus' yoke is less demanding, which is not the case at all, is it? You who serve the Lord faithfully and diligently know how demanding serving the Lord is. Recall Paul's words in Colossians 1.29, I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Did you catch that, friends? Paul didn't say serving Jesus was less laborious, had less striving, but he did say that his labor and striving were empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and that enablement drove him to continue on in his service. Paul attested to a divine human cooperation here, and this is what the Pharisees stripped from their demands. They stripped away the divine human relationship. They removed it from the equation. Now you might ask, why did they do this? Well, I hope that we're starting to see, friends, why the huge difference existed between Jesus's and the Pharisees' teachings. The Pharisees heaped legalistic and stringent requirements on the shoulders of the people, expecting dutiful obedience, akin to slave labor. And this is where our buzzword yoke took on a negative meaning. The yoke of the Pharisees was not the original yoke of God's laws that trained and discipled God's people to lovingly obey God's commandments. God never demanded sheer duty-driven obedience. Duty-driven obedience strips away the relationship part of our walk with God. And between the Testaments, when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to power, this is what they did. Have you noticed that in our New Testament, nowhere a Pharisee, scribe, or teacher of the law tells somebody to pray about it or seek the Lord and see what he tells you to do? No, never. That would relinquish control back over to God. They couldn't have that. That would lessen their religious control over people. After all, they were the self-proclaimed spiritual guardians of the religion of Judaism. They were the religious gatekeepers. Do you see now why Jesus was so incensed with their spiritual wolves? These spiritual hired hands who cared little about God's sheep? Do you now understand why Jesus had to call down woes on these proud, arrogant, bad shepherds? Here's some woes I shared in our last session from Matthew 23 that I'll repeat. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. Did you catch that? The weightier provisions of the law being justice, mercy, and faithfulness? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You snakes, you offspring of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? And Luke 11.46 adds, One of the experts in the law said to Jesus, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. 
But Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers, as well. You load people with burdens, ding, 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 that are hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even lift one finger to exist. Friends, we have a lot to be thankful for in the convening of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. This council was necessary because converts from the sect of the Pharisees were demanding Gentile converts become Jews first before they could be truly saved. Listen to how Peter clears the air in verse 10. Why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke Ding, 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 which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. James wraps up the council meeting by advocating the sending of a letter to churches in the region that read, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you, the Gentiles, no greater burden, ding, 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 than these essentials. And notice that these essentials did not include circumcision or submitting to the law of Moses as a ritualistic duty. You see, friends, the legalistic religious demands of Israel's first century spiritual leaders included commands and their additions through traditionalism. One Christian philosopher theologian said, The difference between tradition and traditionalism is that tradition is the living faith of those now dead, whereas traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. So, friends, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus is actually urging his Jewish brothers and sisters who were suffering from the burdens of the Pharisees' stipulations to come to him to find the salvation their hearts yearned for. Jesus invites them to a life of not merely dutiful obedience, but rather a life of loving obedience to his teachings. As such, they were invited to enter into a relationship with a humble and gentle teacher. You see, the Pharisees' lack of compassion brought an imposing and burdensome yoke, devoid of the power to carry it out. And Jesus handles this whole issue over the Sabbath by castigating the Pharisees for elevating rules and regulations above human needs. He exposed their inconsistency when they allowed the rescue of an animal, but neglected fellow humans. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? The Pharisees rejected Jesus and the divine origin of his teachings because inwardly they were wicked. They could not and did not want to see beyond their law's technicalities. They had no room for compassion, and they incessantly accused Jesus of wrongdoing. So, friends, this rest that Jesus offered, contextually understood, meant freedom from the excessive burdens the first century Pharisees and teachers of the law implemented and imposed on their followers. Aren't we in some strands of the evangelical church doing the same thing? You bet we are. Friends, Pharisaic Judaism is alive and well and living in our evangelical churches. So this is a timely message for us in the 21st century, isn't it? Friends, shouldn't we want God's word to do for us what it did for Jesus' followers? Liberate us from empty and loveless legalism? 
And shouldn't this then make a tremendous difference in how we interpret Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30? Let's hear it, but this time with the first century religious cultural intertwined. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened by the legalistic stipulations of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and I will give you rest freedom from these loveless, duty-bound labors. Take my yoke, in other words, not the yoke of the Pharisees, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, not religiously proud and arrogant like the Pharisees, and you will find rest for your souls, freedom from the smothering, legalistic yokes or chains that their teachings are trying to bind you. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is not hard to carry. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Two listeners recently wrote in with reference to the last program, Set Free From What? A new listener remarked, A word from the word? Very catchy. I love it. Your insight digging into the scriptures is enlightening and insightful. Thank you for sharing. I really enjoyed it. And a faithful listener wrote in regarding the same program, Another great message. I think most of us are guilty of reading the scriptures without really knowing the context of what was being said, to whom the author was speaking, and what was going on at the time. You did a great job giving examples, and I love the tie-in with King's speech. Well, remember the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. And please keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program, and we have not been immune from the challenging financial and eket times we're in right now. So please consider financially helping to keep A Word from the Word on the air with your kind support. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.